0: Welcome to Second Kings, and we are running a little late, apologize for that, but we are here and we are ready, and the Holy Spirit gives extra grace when we need it, and he brings the word of God to an understanding in our minds and hearts that we can live it, and that's the bottom line, so welcome. I want to begin this evening with an illustration. And the illustration has to do with training animals, specifically dogs, and specifically hunting dogs. So I've had an opportunity myself to work with a beagle who's a rabbit dog. And uh, his name was Red, and he actually came from very good stock and uh, just to give you one illustration, um, when, when we, we got him and he began to grow and we got him on rabbits, uh, he took to it like a beagle on rabbits, okay? That's the best way to describe it. Well, I had him out uh, one day and um, he was chasing a rabbit, following it by the scent. That's what they do. They don't look. In fact, beagles can't because they're too small. That they can't get over the sagebrush. But he's smelling and he's following and all of a sudden, he stopped and he started to cold trail. Now, a cold trail is not a good sign. Cold trail means that he got mixed up in which way the rabbit was going. So hes it's not going to be very helpful. So he starts coming back on the trail. Now, the man that I bought him from was a very hardcore beagle man, and he had told me that If that ever happened to him, he would shoot the dog right there. Well, I I had no intention of doing that. I mean, I would never be able to come home because he was now a family dog as well. So I thought, hey, it's fine. We'll just let it go. Well, he continued on that trail and kicked out the rabbit. The rabbit came back on his own trail and then turned off the side, and my dog was able to find that. And so... Uh, it was also kind of neat because I found an area um, where if you're hunting cottontails, they'll circle. If, you, if you're hunting jackrabbits, they go to like right Wyoming. They just keep on going. And so I always hated when I had a jackrabbit because it was like, you know, you're yelling for the dog. And oh, it's just, it was, uh, you know, Walt Disney all over again. But um, he uh, proved to be a very, very good dog. Well, it's very rewarding when you have a dog like that and you train a dog. But I will be honest with you, it becomes very very frustrating at times. One of the things with hunting dogs, some hunting dogs, probably most, not every breed, is they're hard-headed. And that's a good characteristic when they're on the trail. You don't want them to ever stop. Can we take a break? Uh, You don't want them to do that. And um, so they're very hard-headed. But when they get something in their their mind that not, they're not supposed to do, it's, it's hard to break them. And some hunting dogs uh, are chasing one species, and then they see deer, and they go after the deer. And so the trainer has got to get them to stop. Um, beagles, they, uh, they wouldn't have done good chasing deer, but they love to smell dead stuff. And they will roll in it. While we're hunting, and, and my dog was doing that in his first year, and it wasn't just once. I mean, we'd be going, and he'd turn around, and he'd go back for that. Well, there are times when you need stern, strict discipline on the hunting animals to get their attention. Well, I bring this up this evening because we are going to talk about dogs we're going to talk about dogs and Jezebel. We're going to talk about the canine prophecy that we have talked about before. And we're going to just talk about this whole idea. Why did God even mention the canine prophecy? Meaning that dogs will eat the people as part of the judgment. Well, I do have a I do have a quote here. And I got this from the... the The Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, which is a very, very good resource, gives you many, many cross-references and and just helps you out so much. Well, they had this interesting quote in here, so I thought I would read it in light of what we just said. It's talking about dogs and them eating disgusting things and including people and, well, let me just read. Shocking as this must appear to minds that have been humanized by the kindly influence of Christianity, we still find similar instances in the accounts of modern travelers. Mr. Bruce, and I'm not sure who he was, but Mr. Bruce says that when at Gondar, the bodies of those killed by the sword were hewn to pieces— and scattered about the streets, being denied burial. I was miserable and almost driven to despair at seeing my hunting dogs twice let loose by the carelessness of my servants, bringing into the courtyard the heads and arms of slaughtered men, and which I could no way prevent but by the destruction of the dogs themselves. And now we're talking a little bit about the dogs and we're going to see why does God use dogs as part of judgment? Why does that fit so well with Jezebel and judgment on Jezebel? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we're going to take a look at 2 Kings chapter 9 verses 30 through 37. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as gruesome as it may be, it is true events. And Father, there are many ways in which judgment has been handed out in the Old Testament and even the New Testament and especially the book of Revelation. And you are God who are able to bring people into this world and judge them and take them out of this world. In fact, judgment is upon all of us. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. But would you teach us this evening about one in particular Jezebel, and two in particular dogs, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 9, and we're picking it up from verse 30. So you remember what has happened in the previous verses? Jehu was anointed as king by God through Elisha, and his main job was to eradicate the household of Ahab, which... He did by killing Joram and also Ahaziah of Judah, the southern kingdom, for him wanting to ally. And now, it's almost as if everything is over now and the dust is clearing, but it's not. In verse 30, we find Jehu going to Jezreel. So in 2 Kings 9, verse 30... It says, when Jehu came to Jezreel, all of a sudden, she's been out of the scene in the book of Second Kings for a while, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. Now, let me just say, she didn't paint her eyes to be attractive, she painted her eyes here to be royal with authority. Well, let's look at Jezebel for just a moment. Let's take a look at Jezebel, and I want to look at her biography. Now, we've seen her, and we've talked about her, but let's put it all together to see what a wicked, wicked queen and woman she has been. So beginning with our biography, I thought it'd be good if we had a summary of it. And it says, Jezebel was ruthless, and one who took any measure for her to succeed or have her will accomplished. And that should be enough. But she was devious and treacherous, not opposed to ordering the killing of innocent subjects. She was steeped in false worship and the occult with a hatred for God, His Word, and His prophets. Being consumed by by dogs at her death, it symbolized that in God's eyes, she was morally lower than the lowest species, dogs, lower than a dog, dogs that are carnivores and eat anything and eat disgusting things. So let's take a look at a biblical biography of Jezebel. I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with this. Well, the first thing that I want to look at is that she was the daughter of Ethbaal. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings 16.31. 1 Kings 16.31. And it says, And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of naboth now it's talking about Ahab, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. That is, Ahab went to serve Baal and worshipped him. Now, so this is the beginning of Jezebel, and it's the end of Ahab. The beginning of Jezebel is that her father is a king over in Phoenicia, and most likely changed his name to Ethbaal, which means Baal is alive. Oh, so he loved Baal so much that he changed his name to Baal is alive. He had murdered his predecessor. Kind of shows you where Jezebel's getting it from. Once again, we see parental influence in the wrong way. Who had murdered his predecessor, and according to Josephus, was a priest of the gods Melkart and Astart. Now, Melkart would be <laughs> Melkart Baal. I guess, I guess it was, uh, you could have all kinds of first names for Baal. And by the way, what we had said about Baal is, you could add names to Baal so that he could be your own personal false god. Which is kind of a slap in the face though, isn't it? That we serve the true God, who becomes a personal God. We can have a personal relationship with them through Jesus Christ. But back then, they just in their own imagination could make the God whatever they wanted and it could be their own personal God. So this is the beginning of her and she marries Ahab. I suppose on one sense, it would have been a good political move, but a disastrous moral and spiritual and biblical move since Ahab was the king of Israel. What are you doing marrying Jezebel? We find out in 1 Kings 18 through 19 that she brought prophets of Baal with her. She didn't just worship Baal. She brought her own prophets there that they could institute the worship of Baal. And, of course, Ahab was caught up on it. Now, this is in 1 Kings 18, 19. This happens to be about the situation when Elijah called them for a challenge. It says, Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So obviously, when she came, she would say, Well, I will come, but I have to bring my priests with me and my prophets with me. And they are numerous and they are Baal. And, of course, Ahab, the moral zero, had no problem with that. Well, let's look one more time at what kind of influence did she have on Ahab. And it's mentioned several times. Now, I'd like to go back to 1 Kings 16. Let's go to 1 Kings 16 again because I'd like to read further than verse 31. So 1 Kings 16, verse 31. So it says... It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. Now, Jeroboam was the very first king of the northern kingdom. And what did he do? Instituted idolatry with the golden calf. It just, it just set the course of not only Israel, but eventually Judah. It says that he married, talking about Ahab, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshiped him. Well, how did he do that? Verse 32, and here's the influence of Jezebel. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And of course, Samaria is, we've looked at that before, and this is where Omri had it, his father. And verse 33 says, Ahab also made the Asherah, that thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And although he was a moral zero, his influence was increased toward evil and wicked because of Jezebel. I mean, you see that there in this context and throughout the context whenever she's mentioned. Now, just quickly, let's just talk about Baal for just a moment. So I have this in my notes that the meaning of Baal is lord or husband or owner. Baal was the predominant god in Canaanite religion. He was the storm god who provided the rain necessary for the fertility of the land. So he's somewhere associated with fertility. And if you think about it, all of these false gods were because they needed growth in their agriculture to survive. The worship of Baal was widespread among the Canaanites with many local manifestations under various other titles. The Tyrians from Tyre calling him Baal Melkart. There you have it. The worship of Baal had infiltrated Israel long before the time of Ahab. So it was making inroads, but thanks to Jeroboam, it became, in essence, the law of the land. However, Ahab gave it official sanction in Samaria through building a temple for Baal. As David had captured Jerusalem and his son Solomon had built a temple for the Lord there, so Omri established Samaria And his son Ahab built a temple for Baal there in Samaria. One in Jerusalem, the true one down in the southern kingdom, and one now in the northern kingdom, because they would not go down to the southern kingdom to the temple to worship. And then the Asherah or the Asherim. And these were uh, trees. These were uh, poles, if you would. Um, If you see a lone tree somewhere high on the hill, this is where they would erect these so that people could see them from a long distance and worship from a long distance. So the Asherah or Asherim was represented by a limbless tree trunk planted in the ground. The trunk was usually carved into a symbolic representation of the goddess. Because of the association with the carved trees, the places of Asherah worship were commonly called groves. And the Hebrew word asherah, asherim, could refer to either the goddess or to a grove of trees or at times called poles where they are worshipped. So now this is not in Sidon. This is in Israel. Thanks to Ahab and thanks to Jezebel. Well, looking more at her... I think we could say that she hated God, she hated his word, and she hated his prophets because she killed his prophets. We also found this out in chapter 18 when we met Obadiah, probably not the the prophet Obadiah that Lou is going to be talking about. This was a a different Obadiah, and it says in verse 4 of chapter 18, For when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. So we don't know how many she destroyed and killed, but she did. She went after them, most likely because they were prophesying against her. Now, when we had the battle of Elijah, and I believe this is why Elijah is really elevated higher in the Jewish mind, even though we see a lot of Elisha, and Elisha does a lot of things, this battle between Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, versus the prophets of Baal to get rid of Baal worship becomes a focal point in its history. And as soon as there was victory by the Lord, by the way, their, their prophets couldn't do it. And there was a sacrifice, and all they had to do was appealed to their God Baal, who in some instances was called the God of fire, and they could not ignite this sacrifice. As you know, Elijah did, called upon the Lord, and immediately after putting water upon it, and immediately it burst into flames. Elijah ordered the killing of all of the prophets. And if you go to Mount Carmel today, there is a statue there of Elijah with a sword and his foot on the neck of a prophet of Baal. So this is really why Elijah is exalted. But after that, it didn't go so well. In fact, it was at that point when Jezebel found out she could kill the Lord's prophets, but the Lord could not kill her prophets. So in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, kind of interesting it was the lord who had done it but ahab wasn't giving um, recognition to the lord and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword then jezebel sent a messenger to elijah saying so may the gods do to me and even more if i do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time well that was a false prophecy that did not come true but she was indeed judged. Now, when we talk about her treachery and how treacherous she was and even willing to murder innocent subjects, this was the time when Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. It was right next to the kingdom, right next to everything. And so he wouldn't have had to go out and purchase his vegetables and things like that, he would have his vineyard right there. Well, Naboth refused. And he refused because it was given to him by his father's in, as an inheritance. Well, you remember what happened. Ahab went home and took his, took his football and went home and went to his bed and he pouted until Jezebel came by and said, what are you doing? You're the king. You just take it. I'll show you how. And she had this plan false accusing Naboth as being an apostate uh, being apostate and lied about him so that he was stoned and we also found out that his sons were stoned falsely and it was at that point that Ahab received this vineyard from the hand of Jezebel so this is her she's really running the, the whole show well I put in there a letter H that she incited Ahab to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Why am I repeating that? Because scripture repeated that. We read it in chapter 16, but in chapter 21, verse 25, it reads, Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself. You hear of selling yourself to the devil? Who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. So when we talk about somebody selling themselves to the devil, it's that they want something, uh, and they're willing to give their lives to something in exchange for it. So he was willing to give, he wanted something, but he was willing to give his, his life in exchange to Jezebel and to her religion. And so that's why we bring it up again. Well, as we're looking through this and coming towards 2 Kings now and the things that we find out about Jezebel, we find out that not only was she involved in idolatry, but we find out that she was involved in witchcraft, in the occult. And it's at this point we get a little picture into The Old Testament, that it's just not the sin of idolatry. Once you open yourself up to that, you open yourself up to everything, including witchcraft and the occult, and probably, probably specifically in the realm of to get an oracle or a word of revelation from the false gods. And so they would do that by occultic measures. It says in First Kings, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 22, when Joram saw Jehu, he said for the third time, is it peace? And look at what Jehu said. He answered, he said, what peace? So long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. Her harlotries would refer to her paganism and her witchcraft would probably refer to these revelations that they get through occultic means. Um, it might have been better if I would have looked at her biography talking about the good things that she did. Well, it sure would have been quicker, right? Well, we also find out in Second Kings that God is bringing, is bringing judgment against her. Now, why? <laughs> you choose. You pick. Why not? But it's interesting what is said. Now, this is found in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 7. When Elisha is instructing Jehu of what he is supposed to do, and this is why he's being called as king. You shall strike the house of Ahab, your master. He was a commander that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. So, interesting, Ahab is being judged and was judged. And you see it's from the influence of Jezebel. Now, before we get that mixed up, that's not to say he was really a good Sunday school boy. And she's just responsible for all of it. And he just got too close to the fire. No, I mean, he he was a grown adult and had his own mind and will. And he sold himself. He went after it. But she was a driving force. Well, I shouldn't have put letter K because letter K is going to let the cat, is going to let the dog out of the bag. And that in we're going to see that she is going to be judged. She is going to be thrown out of a window, to her death. And then there's one other of reference to Jezebel, and she's represented as and and her symbolism of Jezebel represents false teaching in the Book of Revelation, when the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to the churches. And by the way, when he speaks to the churches. I believe that we're talking to right now before the tribulation. Some people look at each church as a particular age. I don't take it that way. I take it that all of these things could be at any time and that the churches should be on guard for all of them. But it begins this way in Revelation 2.20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. I doubt that her was, that was her name, although it may have been, um, who calls herself a prophetess. Very interesting. So we're seeing self-proclaimed prophets as part of the problem during the church age. And she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Well, if we have time, we'll revisit that Revelation passage. Well, before we get to verses 30 through 37, just seven verses, but very interesting ones. I actually did have somebody tell me this week, I can't wait to find out what happens with Jehu. Well, we're going to find out. I want to recall in our minds what I have entitled The canine prophecies, partly with tongue in cheek, but nevertheless very, very true. The canine prophecies are when dogs are involved in the judgment of God against those who turn away from him. Now, he also talks about birds from heaven eating the flesh in the Old Testament. That's part of the judgment too, but I particularly am zeroing in because of what's happening here in 2 Kings of what I call the canine prophecies. Now, we do see a canine prophecy in the book of Jeremiah. And in a sense, what we're reading in 2 Kings is coming before what Jeremiah writes about. But it's a great introduction. God revealed to Jeremiah that his discipline on Judah was coming because she like her sister Israel, turned away from him. Now, this is found in Jeremiah 15. So if you would turn quickly to Jeremiah 15. And I'm going to go back just to verse 1 because this is amazing. So here's Jeremiah. You want to know why he was called the weeping prophet? And I don't, uh, um, you know, I don't want to steal anything away from Lou's thunder. Of course, he's in the minor prophets. Not the minor leagues, the minor prophets. But you want to know why Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet? Because of the things that he had heard about judgment against Judah. Judah, where David uh, had established uh, his kingdom there in Jerusalem. Verse 1 begins, Then the Lord said to me, Even though Moses and Samuel... Even though they were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. And if you remember, there was even a time when God said, Jeremiah, I know you're praying. I don't want to hear it. Do not pray anymore for them. The, the, The gavel has been hammered down. They're getting it. And it says, and it shall be that when they say to you, where should we go? Then you are to tell them, thus says the Lord, those destined for death to death. Those destined for the sword to the sword. And those destined for famine to famine. And those destined, here we go, for captivity to captivity. Now, those are all things that the Lord had been warning them about. War, pestilence starvation and famine going to come in the land this was the under the old testament law and this is what god would bring upon his people according to the covenant if they turned away and then verse three i will appoint over them four kinds of doom declares the lord the sword to slay and here we go the dogs to drag off and eat And the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth to devour and to destroy. And we'll just stop there. I think we get the point. So this is where this was all going. And this is just reminiscence of what we see in the Old Testament. And especially in the book of Kings. Now, this canine prophecy began with none other than Jeroboam. The first king of the northern kingdom. When he instituted Worship of the golden calf, false religion even in the name of Yahweh. And you can imagine what this incurred upon him from the wrath of God. And by the way, this is the sin. Now, they did many other sins, but this is the sin that is talked about in 2 Kings as so bad. And in 1 Kings 14.11, if you remember... Because he instituted this, and he was the one that catapulted Israel, both northern and southern kingdom, into idolatry in the worst way, judgment came upon him in a canine prophecy. It said, anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. Now, one thing I have to say is that these dogs are a little bit cultured because they're not outside the city. They live in the city. And it says, and he who dies in the field, well, the birds of the heavens will eat, for the Lord has spoken it. But it's the idea basically, not so much the dogs or the birds, it's basically they're, they're going to be judged and they're going to die. But it is not, it, it it is also true of the birds and the dogs, they're in there as well. Well, if you remember, Baasha was in there, he was uh, one of the kings, and He was exalted by God as king over God's people. And what he was supposed to do was stop idolatry. But in fact, he led them to follow the ways of Jeroboam. In fact, we'll see that about all of these kings. They followed in the ways of Jeroboam. Nobody turned aside. And what was said about him? Well, in 1 Kings 16.4, here we go. Anyone of Baasha who dies in the city the dogs will eat. And any one of his who dies in the field, the birds of the heavens will eat. Now, let me just stop here a second. This isn't the dog's fault. If you think about it, God created all animals, and and they all have special gifts. (laughs) They all have particular reasons, and a lot of them are scavengers so that it cleans up The area, the forest, it cleans up all of these things, um, and dogs are part of them. And, um, you know, we even see these things going on, and it kind of reminded me when my my beagle would just, you know, he would find something dead, and it was as if, you know, it was as if, hallelujah, you know, and I'm just, and he'd smell it, and he'd rub himself, and then I'd have to bring him home in, in the vehicle, in the back of the pickup, and then, um Somehow I'd have to explain that smell to my wife. Well, uh, it just... It, but but that's what they do. That, that attracts them. They're, they're dogs. And we're going to see how this all plays out. Next, we have Ahab in the Canine Prophecies. And now, even though Ahab is not going to be eaten by dogs... Dogs are associated. Now, as we said already, two two scriptures. He was the most evil or the evilest, the most evil king up to his day. And this is why he was incorporated into the canine prophecy. Because he instituted Baal worship and, and, and false worship. And so, it says in 1 Kings 24 I'm sorry, 21 19. Elijah said to him, Lord says, You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord. There you go. There's that, there's that term that Lou talked about it in, in, in Sunday morning. And it's about, you see this with these prophets. It, it's not self-proclaimed. It actually is they were chosen by the Lord, and they reveal only things that the Lord knows, and only they reveal it, not anyone else. And it's in the Old Testament, it is. It is uh, introduced by thus says the Lord or the word of the Lord. Well, what about the New Testament? We don't see that phrase in the New Testament. Well, we don't need to because we have the word of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, who chose them and sent them out to and talked about the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And he would, the Holy Spirit would give them the words to say. And of course, we have inspiration then when they wrote it in the Bibles. Um, so we see that here, but here's the point I just, but I never want to fail to make that last point. Um, it says thus, thus says the Lord, have you murdered and also taken possession Naboth? Now Jezebel did it, but he's involved in it as well. And you shall speak to him saying, thus says the Lord in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, The dogs will lick up your blood as well. And if you remember, that happened exactly. So he was killed. You remember he was shot by a random arrow. (laughs) Uh, So if anybody is ever out goofing around and they say, well, I'm just going to shoot an arrow randomly, don't let them do it. Random arrow is one of the most dangerous things, especially when it's the Lord's will to bring judgment upon Ahab. And in chapter 22, after his death, he had bled out in the chariot. It says, they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. It says, now the harlots bathed themselves there, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke. That mention about the, the harlots is that it's interesting that the lowest of all societies and species is connected with The evilness of idolatry and sin. Well, as we follow this out, and I don't want to take up all the time in this, but as we follow this out, it even goes to Ahab's family. Ahab's family is brought in on the Canine prophecy. In 1 Kings 21-24, it says, The one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, what happens to him? He gets eaten by the dogs and the one who dies in the field from what he gets eaten by the birds of heaven. And that's upon the family of Ahab. Now, with all of this and as wicked as Jezebel is, you're almost rooting for the canine prophecy to be applied to her. And I don't mean that in any gruesome way. But this is the Lord pouring out his wrath upon those who hate him. Who kill his prophets and hate his word. We see Jezebel brought in to the canine prophecy because of her evilness. And in First Kings 21, 23. This is First Kings. It was already said then. And then it's going to be brought up in Second Kings. It says, of Jezebel also, the Lord had spoken, saying, the dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. These were in the city. These dogs were citified, and that's what's going to happen. And when we get to uh, chapter uh, 9 in 2 Kings, We see in verse 10, even before we're going to look at this, it says the dog shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. All right. Well, okay, so that sets it up. So now we come to the judgment on Jezebel. She's the last one in this section to receive the canine prophecy. And Lord, she has it coming. So we come now to Roman numeral three, the death of Jezebel. So we've already read verse 30, but let's go ahead and read it again. Second Kings chapter nine, verse 30. It says, when Jehu, now this is after he killed Joram and after they killed Ahaziah, and now he's in Jezreel. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. Now, the scripture doesn't say why he went to Jezreel. It might be suspected that he heard that Jezebel is there, and his work is not yet done. That's a possibility, but, you know, it's all speculation. Uh, it very well could be that he was just going to Jezreel, uh, since he was pretty much in charge of it now through uh, him killing his predecessor and master, so we don't know for sure. But he's. But it says that she painted her eyes. Now we do know. We learned when in the book of Esther that there was quite a bit of beautification of, of women um, with this beautification, and Esther was the one who was eventually picked as the king's wife. But this is not for that. Uh, This is for the idea of an appearance of authority um, as a queen, as one with authority. And she did this hearing that Jehu was going to come in. And we know this because all we have to do is do what? Read the context. The context, she is not there to woo him. She is there to wound him. And that's what we're going to see. Now, verse 31. As Jehu entered the gate, she said... Is it, well, Zimri, your master's murderer? This is sarcasm. This is not good. She's not there to woo him. She's there to wound him. Now, why would she call him Zimri? Well, if you remember Zimri, and we go back to this, Zimri killed his master, and Zimri purged the house of his master not completely unfamiliar or uncommon in those times but he certainly did it and in first kings 16 11 through 13 it says it came about when he became king as soon as he sat on the throne that he killed all the house of baasha he did not leave a single male neither of his relatives nor of his friends that's a purge Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Baasha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Baasha through Jehu the prophet. Not the same Jehu here. For all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Elah, his son, which they sinned, in which they made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Idolatry. That is it. That's the big one. So he purged. Now here's Jehu, who is sent to purge, his, purge the house of Ahab, beginning with Joram. And if you remember, he also slaughtered the princes of Joram who were there. And then he sees Ahaziah, who unfortunately shouldn't have been, but was an ally with the northern kingdom. When the prophets already rebuked these kings and said, what are, you, what are you doing with these idolaters? Anyway, Ahaziah was taken as well. And Jehu is not done. Also, she mentions Zimri because he was only king for seven days. You, you may have heard of that, uh, that, that show a long time ago queen for a day or king for a day. Well, he beat that. He was a king for seven days. What does this mean? She's being sarcastic to Jehu. You think you're a king. You think you're going to come in and take over. You know how short Zimri was in his reign? That's what you're going to be. So here she is. She threatened Elijah. Now she's threatening Zimri. Well, we'll see, or we think we already know. Well, Perhaps Jehu didn't know that she was going to be there because at this point, verse 32, then he lifted up his face to the window and said, who is on my side? Who? And two or three officials looked down at him. In other words, signaling to him that they weren't standing with Jezebel. They were going to stand with him. Now, maybe on the one hand, it's because they've heard of Jehu's reputation. If they heard he was coming to Jezreel, they heard of what he was doing. Jezebel knew because she mentioned that you're like Zimri, you know, purging. Well, they may have, you know, switched sides to be on the victor side. But she was a wicked and evil king, and it probably wasn't a picnic to be underneath her. And they were probably only too glad to switch their allegiance. It doesn't matter. They did. They switched their allegiance. And that's what we find out about these supporters. They became dissenters, and it was directed towards Jezebel. Well, now that they said they were on Jehu's side, he says to her, throw her down. Well, are they on her side or not? It says, so they threw her down. And it was evidently high enough that it would bring about her death. Because if you look at this, it says, and her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. Now, this isn't to, to you know, gross anybody out. This is reality. And she fell. Probably a fatal fall, probably has to do with the head injury, but it was so hard that the blood splattered on the wall on one side and on the horses on another, which means there was a lot of blood and there was a lot of force. And so it was probably a fatal fall. However, finish the sentence, the verse, and it says, and he trampled her underfoot. Just in case she wasn't dead, he now trampled her. But I think probably with that kind of a blow, she was probably already dead. He probably knew it. So what was the purpose of it? Well, the purpose of it was to show his and the Lord's disdain for her, disrespect and disgust for what she had done against the Lord, against his prophets, and against his word. And so he actually is carrying out the will of the Lord. Well, it gets a little more interesting at this point. And at this point we're not done with the blood and the gore, but we'll 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 read scripture. we'll read it. Now we come to verse thirty four and this is interesting here. It's all interesting, isn't it verse thirty four it says, when he came in, he ate and drank. Now, you know, if, if that happened to anyone else among us, um, I don't think we'd be doing that. I think we'd be hurling. If we, I think we'd be vomiting, if anything. But now, we must remember that, number one, he was a commander of the military, and so he was used to blood, so it didn't bother him. And, of course, this didn't bother him because I imagine in the first time of his life, he's he's believing that he has done what was right, and right makes might. And so he didn't have a guilty conscience, and he was eating and drinking. Well, it doesn't say what he was eating and drinking, but it, it just says that he was eating and drinking as it was of no consequence. And he said this, See now, to this cursed woman and bury her for she is a king's daughter now as we're thinking about this he's ordering her burial and and one would perhaps wonder why he calls her a cursed woman and this would be in literal terms the lord had cursed her had judged her but he's going to Bury wants to see her buried. And the reason is, we're going to find out, is because he says she's the king's daughter. He's, she's royalty. Now, I don't know if this is what he did as a commander. Uh, you respect royalty, and at least they should have a burial. Um, I don't know if it's because now that he's king, if he's thinking of his own royalty. Uh, I, I don't know what his thinking was. Um, but he says to bury her. Now, before we look at verse 35, I'm going to ask this question. And again, it's just speculation. Did he know already of Elijah's prophecy? Is this what he was thinking about, the Canaanite prophecy? And was he just doing this for a dramatic effect? Oh, go bury her, knowing that they're not going to be able to bury her. Because of the dogs, because of the canine prophecy. Was he just doing this for dramatic highlighting, emphasis? We'll see. We'll move on. But that's one of the possibilities. Now, what happened? Well, verse 35, when the servants went to bury her, they found nothing more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. What happened? Well we know what happened and we're going to be told what happened and it is the idea of the canine prophecy and as we're thinking about the dogs this is gruesome and yet again you can't fully blame the dog. Of course you don't want the dog bringing body parts into your backyard but you you can't hardly blame the dog because this is what they do. This is this is how God created them and other uh, animals uh, that take care of these kinds of things. This is God's wisdom in all of this. Um, and here, He's using this for judgment. So all her that was left was skull, and feet, and palms of her hands. And um, you know when they talk about they talk about these man eating tigers over in India when when Jim Corbett and them had to go kill all of these uh, man-eating tigers at their own risk, um, they would often say this is what was left. For some reason, they don't eat these parts. These parts are left. Um, So it's interesting that, that that is mentioned. Well, we come to verses 36 and 37. Where I have these verses entitled "The Canine Prophecy fulfilled." And in verse thirty six, it said, "Therefore they returned and told him, that's Jehu. They told him that all that's left is is a skull and feet and palms of hands. so they're not able to bury her. And at this point, Jehu says this, is the word of the Lord which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. Now, either he knew this before and had dramatic highlight there, or this just reoccurred to him. I I don't know which, but here it is. And what was it that was spoken by Elijah? Saying, in the property of Jezreel, Jezreel, that city near Jezreel Valley, where the battle of Armageddon will be, in the property of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And then verse 37 will say this, and the corpse of Jezebel will be as dung on the face of the field in the property of Jezreel, so they cannot say, this is Jezebel. Now, this was not revealed to us earlier. It was about the canine prophecy, but this last part about that she would be unidentifiable unrecognizable, we didn't read that, but we've seen that uh, before in the book of Kings that we we didn't we heard the prophecy but didn't hear all of the prophecy uh that kind of a thing so it's very possible that Elijah did say that, but it wasn't recorded until now. All right, it wasn't recorded until now. Now, what does it mean? Well, before we, we say what it, it it means, notice what's happening here. The prophecy gave the place of death. It's going to be Jezreel. And that only the Lord would know where it's going to be. And then secondly. He gave the aftermath of how she was going to die. That's of the Lord. People cannot foretell that. Only the Lord can foretell that because he knows it. He knows all things presently. And, of course, he reveals it to his chosen prophet who will reveal God's truth and God's word. By the way, if a prophet back then gave a prophecy that didn't come to fruition, he was a false prophet and He was eligible to be stoned. Well, obviously, Elijah was a true prophet, and all of this came to be. Now, I want to pick up this idea of the phrase, and the corpse of Jezebel will be as dung on the face of the field. Well, without, you know, just getting too gross, um, if you've seen one cow pie, you've seen them all. You don't you don't differentiate in cow pies, um, unless <laughs> unless you're in a cow pieing throwing contest, which there are those, and some of those are held in Wyoming, yippee yay But there really isn't much difference <laughs> between a cow pie. The point is, you're not going to. She's unrecognizable. You will not know that this is Jezebel by her appearance. But they will certainly know that it was Jezebel because of where she fell and whatever they did with her then. I think they just left her there and the dogs took care of the rest. And so they do know it was Jezebel. But it's even her identity has been removed by God. This is the idea. Well, now we see the end of Jezebel. We see this canine prophecy fulfilled. And why dogs again in the beginning? There's this idea that, yes, according to man, if you're seeing animals eat those putrid things, and I'm just not going to go into any more detail, but there are many, many details of what dogs do after they eat something, and then they eat it again. Okay, we'll just go down that road. All right, and it's it's so disgusting to us that we would call them the lowest of species. They're God's creation. Well, when you look at Jezebel, her moral and wicked and ruthless and murderous and hatred of God, she was deplorable morally. She was the lowest morally that even the dogs had victory over her. And I believe this, it was a true event, but I believe that there's symbolism in that event. Well, with the little time that we have remaining, let's now talk about the symbolism of Jezebel. I think we have a pretty good idea of what the name Jezebel means now, but why is it used in the book of Revelation? I don't know that whoever the Lord was talking about was actually named Jezebel, may have been may have been, but it was for symbolic reasons. So let's turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 20 through 24. And this will be our applications for this evening. And we'll see if we can't work our way through this. So in Revelation 2, verse 20, this is where he talks about Jezebel. Well, let's just go back up a little bit to the beginning. This is a message to the church, Thyatira, in the church age. We are in the church age as well. And one of the reasons why I say that it doesn't have to be their historical markers, so in other words, what happened in the first church can't really happen now, that's wrong. Because she's going to symbolize false teaching, and that is prevalent, beloved. So is lukewarmness from Laodicea, but so is false teaching, like we find from symbolism from Jezebel. And in verse 18, the Lord says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, if you remember our study, the word angel there may be referring to the leader's or even the pastor of that church. It didn't mean that that there was actually a real angel that was leading that church. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. Both of those are symbols of judgment. He writes, he says, I know your deeds and your love and faith, And service and perseverance. And that your deeds of late are greater than at the first. So that's a good thing. Accept that. But I have this against you. That you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now what are we going to find out about Jezebel? That he says it's so wrong for you to tolerate her. Well let's go through it. First of all she's a self proclaimed prophetess it says who calls herself the lord didn't call her she calls herself a prophetess and there are many many people today both men and women who claim to be prophets and prophetesses of the lord now you and i have been studying the book of first and second kings and we know that just not anybody can stand up and say i'm a prophet you have to be chosen of the lord and yet, we have people doing that. And, and also, too, can you imagine that God is raising up people like Elijah and Elisha right now in the church age? Could you imagine that that's happening? Do you know what they could do? If they are God's prophet, 100% accurate in their preaching, proclaiming, and in their writing, they could write a 67th book for Scripture. And I've talked to people that had no problem with that. That's heresy. That is heresy. And yet we see that going on today. So she called herself a prophetess. So she's getting her revelation not from the Lord, but from either just her imagination, her feelings, or worse. Jeremiah talked about these. Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people astray. This is this idea of the occult. They they turn to these false gods, which Paul says there are, uh, there's demonic activity among this. And this is how they supposedly are getting revelation. Now, uh, again, it, could it be at the end of the day, it could be their imagination, because these things are not going to come true by these demonic things. I mean, they don't know all things. Only God does. So when you have these prophets and they say, well, we're a prophet of the Lord, and their prophecy doesn't come to complete fulfillment, they're pretty good at walking back their statement, or otherwise their statement was so generalized that no one could miss You know, I imagine, I imagine that within this next month of April, which we're not in yet, you will see some snow. (laughs) Okay, so everybody in Wyoming is saying, "Uh, yeah, what about the spring snowstorm we get every year in April? And that's why we don't like to have people come to do our Bible conference then, because we've already had one guy snowed in for a week, Larry Albritton. So... You know that that would be like a a generalization, but it would be a false prophecy because the Lord never gave that. Secondly, it says, "And she teaches and leads my bond servants astray." So now we have false teaching. So now, just again, you remember with Jezebel, Je- her father was a priest. She brought the she brought the uh, priest with her. She probably. W- claim to be a prophetess. I mean, she she gave two of those. If if Elijah isn't killed by this time tomorrow, may the gods do to me what he did to my my priest. Well, you know why that didn't come true? Because she was praying to the false gods who don't exist. No wonder that didn't happen. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. People, uh, sometimes sad to say, will try to uh, hoodwink even Christians in this. You just use... You just use biblical terminology and things like that. And if, 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 if Christians don't know and don't have the knowledge of the word, they could easily fall in this. Now, notice it says that she teaches and leads people astray. Now, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to teach. exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet she is violating that now we've gone through this many many times this is not to say that women are not valuable this is not to say that women cannot teach they can they can teach other women and this is not to say that even in a even in a uh, format that we're in now When I asked for, is there any comments? Of course a woman can can give a comment. And then when we pray together, of course a woman can pray. They did that in the early church as they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. But this is in the order of the church, and it's not that women aren't intelligent enough. It's not that, that they're not biblical enough, that they're not holy enough. It's not that at all. This is just the way that God designed it. And it's not because of culture. Well, that was the culture today. Well, we don't have that culture. No, Paul goes back to creation. Adam was created first and then Eve. Now, he could have created Eve first if that had been God's will. But he created Adam first. And that's the basis that Paul uses for the establishment of the church. And look at today. We have many women who are preachers in the churches. Amen? Some of them claim to be prophets as well as preachers. But here's this woman. So she's teaching and leading many astray. Now, it's false teaching. And the only way you could tell if it's false is if you know true teaching. Sound truth from the word of God. And that comes by faithful walking with the Lord, studying his word, and can I say it, coming to church and hearing expository and doctrinal teaching from the word. That's the only way you learn that. If you come and you're only getting warm fuzzies and funny illustrations, then you're, you're not getting equipped. You're not getting equipped because guess what? False teachers themselves have warm fuzzies and funny illustrations. They tickle the ears, as it says in 2 Timothy. So this is why we have got to know the word of the Lord. And of course, what about Jezebel, Ahab's wife? Well, through her incitement and Ahab, they caused God's people, all of God's people, to worship These false gods, to ignore the word of God and to ignore God. And here's some of the things that they taught. It goes on to say that she taught. So that they commit acts of immorality. Now let me stop there. This usually refers to sexual immorality. Now, on the one hand, this is a symbolism for idolatry. And, of course, he, he's, it's going to say, and eat things sacrificed to idols. So it's this idea of idolatry. But also, too, we find out that when there is idolatry and there is false teaching, it's not just figurative or spiritual adultery. It ends up being sexual immorality. In, in other words, once the doors are open, anything goes. And we've even seen churches in the past that have promoted that they were the church of love, this kind of love. And it's just ludicrous. And here the church, what, what the Lord has against them is that they tolerate this. And then, of course, even the idea of things associated in sacrifice to idols. This is associated with paganism. Now, I don't know exactly what kind of paganism but it's somewhat in the church age. And I'll tell you what, there's one thing that is paganism that has started before the church and continues on to this day. And you know what that is? Gnosticism. And we've spent a good time talking about Gnosticism when we were in the book of Colossians, which I believe is a polemic to false teaching of the first century, which was an early Gnosticism. It's paganism. And... This very well could be what he's referring to. Now, verse 21 and following, he makes some comments about Jezebel, who's a self-proclaimed prophet, who's a false teacher that leads many astray from God's word, who also incorporates sexual immorality, both figurative and literal, and then also is associated with paganism, probably Gnosticism. Look at verse 21. She did not repent. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. That's very interesting. This is during the church age. And one could could just imagine very well that we're talking about that there's a church that is deconstructing. And it's teaching its people to deconstruct. And it's teaching its people to question everything, including and especially the word of God. Now, there are those who are standing up for the truth in this day and age and say, no, do not go down that road of deconstructionism because what they come away with is a, well, it isn't even Christianity. I mean, they question even the necessity of the cross. They certainly question the reality of the resurrection. Beloved, that's the foundation of Christianity, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. And there are those who oppose them. One by the preaching of expository teaching. And the other by those who are involved in polemic discussions with them. And they're hearing it. And God is giving them opportunity to repent. And there are some who do. There are some who do. And it's, and it's incredible to hear their testimony. She does not. She does not. Time was given to repent. She does not want to repent. And then it says in verse 22, kind of a difficult one to figure out, it says, Behold, I will throw her on a bed, and then in italics, the NASB inserts it because they're giving it a translation of what they think. I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and by the way, it's not a bad interpretation. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. Now, It could be that the bed of sickness is speaking of death. It could be a casket. This could be what it refers to. It could be several other things too. But it's not good. Whatever it is, it's part of judgment. And those who commit adultery with her, it mentions the great tribulation. They're not believers. And and if the Lord comes during their time, and the tribulation in rapture. And the tribulation begins, they're going into it. And maybe then they would repent. But it says unless they repent of her deeds. And that would have to happen even in the tribulation. And then it says in verse 23, And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Now, if we're talking about the tribulation here, people going into the tribulation, that's exactly what happens. God is going to bring back, by special demand, famine, pestilence, and death. So when you see those in the book of Revelation, it ought to remind you of our study in 2 Kings of the famine that God brings to get people's attention because he's bringing judgment. And so we see that. And so her children will die with pestilence. And by the way, it's very, very interesting because it talks about, in certain places, it talks about a third of the people are going to be wiped out instantly, are going to be wiped out instantly. Now, just one other thing before we close, and that it, when it says, you know, you will know that I am he, there will be a true identification. The believers, true believers already know who he is. But the, those even who will remain connected with the Antichrist will know who Jesus Christ is. Because why? Because they will hate him. You cannot hate someone who does not exist. So they know that he does. And the tr- God's truth and true, true Lord and true churches will, will know. And he says, and I will give to each one according to your deeds. This is not salvation by works. In the Bible, there are two types of giving accordance to one's deed. For the believers, it is their works after they come to Christ. Are we going to be judged for our sins? No. No, Christ was judged for our sins. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning when we get to heaven and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not about sin. Christ is the one who took that. But it is about what have you done for me as a believer? And did you do it for me or did you do it for yourself and to get the spotlight? Was it Did you think that somehow you're going to gain something? Or was it out of a love for the Lord? That's the judgment seat of Christ. It's part of what will be happening when we are raptured and taken into heaven. As for unbelievers, they will be judged according to their deeds at the great white throne judgment. Only believers will be there, Unbelievers, only unbelievers will be there and these unbelievers will be judged for their deeds because they're saying, well, I'm not trusting Christ for my salvation. I'm trusting in my own deeds and that's the very thing that they're going to be judged for, their own sinful deeds. Well, how would you like to have a name that is used in the book of Revelation as a symbolism of evil, self-proclaimed prophet, false teaching, immorality, all of the one who doesn't repent? Well, Jezebel wins the prize. But as we talk about this, when you look at the dog's there in Second Kings, they were doing their job. The problem was Jezebel wasn't doing hers. She wasn't doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And as we think about that, what's the challenge for us? Well, not to be wicked like that, always follow the Lord, but also let us not tolerate false teaching and follow false teaching and immorality, making sure that we don't throw our faith to the dogs let's pray father we thank you for your word and father it is quite gripping and yet that's what gets our attention that's what keeps us from falling asleep because of what we see in your scriptures and they're not made up fables these are absolute truths and it's also the fulfillment of your judgments oh lord we know that there's a judgment coming in the tribulation. We know there's a judgment coming in the great white throne judgment, and we know that there's a judgment to everyone who does not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so, Father, as we come across those individuals, may we think of this, and may we have the boldness and the love to share Christ. And, Father, as we think of this, thank you for teaching us these things. Uh, Thank you for also... um, stirring within us more of the hatred for wickedness and evil and these kinds of things that are produced from this example of Jezebel. May we love you, Lord, even more and hate sin even more. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.